kill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> John, I finally thought of it. You know, brain dead this morning. Hi, John. How you doing? <laughs> Time to begin our worship service this morning. Another beautiful morning, and I'd like to welcome everyone here. And if you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad to have you at this time. Reminder to our ladies, we have a few things to go over. Reminder to the ladies at Rome uh, of the baby shower this Saturday, beginning at 1 p.m., in honor of the upcoming birth of baby Jamie and baby Becca Pittman. Heather and Andy are registered at Target and Amazon. Heather's father, who is a chef, and he is a good chef, I, I know that, will be providing artists some flatbread pizza, and ladies can bring a side dish or a finger food or such of their choice to uh, share this event. Also, a note that mowing season is here, and we need volunteers again. And, and if you've been mowing and taking care of your yard, you know it's a growing fast. It, it's that time of year, so uh, the mower and everything's provided. If you can do that, there will be a sign-up sheet out here in the foyer. So check that if you're able to come down and help. Also, uh, uh, Jim Haney will be seeing his cardiologist tomorrow. Jim's had some problems the last, uh, last week, and uh, we need to continue to pray for Jim that things go well there. Continue to pray for Rusty and, and Kristen as they uh, continue to take their chemo treatments. And, and remember all those who are uh, battling cancer, keep those in your, in your prayers. Eugene Stover son of Kim Stover and grandson to Maxine Romine. Eugene's kidney function is decreasingly, considerably, and prayers are needed for him. So that's Eugene Stover. Wayne Stevens had knee replacement this week. Wayne was doing good the first couple weeks, a couple days, and he's been having some reaction to some of the medicine. So uh, we continue to pray for Wayne Stevens, that uh, things will go well for him. Jerry says that's uh, Hilda's baby son. He's the man. I suppose you're the man. And Okay. Okay. Prayers this morning to uh, the Cooper family at the passing of Mary Alice. Uh, we want to keep that family in our prayers because, you know, we just recently Dean has passed away and 
and now they have to make arrangements for both of them to uh, to honor them and you know to lose one loved one is something but to lose two and, and have to deal with that and we want to keep them in our prayers and because Dean and Mary Alice, uh, Dean was a trustee and, and VFW, he did so much in the community and Mary Alice has been around the school for years and years and uh, they will be missed so we want to pray for the Cooper family. The viewing will be Friday evening and the funeral at Halls and the funeral will be at 11 o'clock Saturday morning. Just check your bulletin, uh, look over it, and let's remember to keep praying for people, praying for our shut-ins and, and others that need it. One more announcement. The uh, elders have uh, talked, and we've decided to start services back up on Sunday, May the 2nd. On Sunday morning, May the 2nd, that is two weeks from today. And we'll be having our services of oh, Sunday night, I'm sorry, Sunday night. Sunday night, we will be starting back the services. And then also on Wednesday night, we will be starting back our classes on Wednesday night. And that will be May the 5th. That's two and a half weeks from, to, from, from now. So Wednesday May the 5th on the Wednesday night, and uh, May the 2nd on the Sunday evening, two weeks from today. If you have any questions or need to speak with the elders or whatever, just give us a call. Or just talk to us after services, whatever would be the case. Okay, as we begin our service, let's bow and go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for, the, uh, for our health that we are able to, to gather here and worship you. And, and Father, we just uh, pray that you'll continue to be with us and, and uh, bless this congregation. And Father, as we prepare to, uh, to get back to uh, some type of normal and, and, and be able to gather here and worship you, we pray, Father, that, that you'll watch over us and, and be with all the churches, Father, and, and uh, we just know that, uh, that it's been a hard time and it's going to continue to be a hard time, but uh, we just pray, Father, for your guidance and for your blessings. Father, we uh, pray for the family of uh, Mary Alice Cooper, Father. We just pray that, uh, that you'll bless them. Father, we pray that, uh, that you will give them comfort in a way that only you can and and Father, we just uh, we're thankful for the for the part that they they've been uh, in this uh, congregation, and, and Father for our community. We just pray that you uh, bless their family, and Father for those who are battling cancer. We pray that that you'll bless them, and and Father any other type of sickness, whatever it may be. We we pray for Jim Haney. We pray, Father, that you'll be with the doctors who are. Uh, treating him, Father, that uh, they'll be able to, uh, to help him and get him on the right medicine or whatever it takes, Father. Pray that you'll bless him. Father, uh, continue to be with Wayne Stevens, that, uh, that he'll continue to get better. Watch over him and continue to bless John Klein and, and others who have had recent surgery. Father, we pray for Chris this morning as he brings us a lesson. We pray, Father, that... Uh, that he will help us, Father, to, to understand your word better and help us all to worship you together in spirit and truth. Continue to bless him and his family and, and Dave and Mandy and their family, Father. We thank you for all that uh, you have given us, all that you uh, do for us, and we know that all good things come from you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand and sing the first hymn, number 941. 941, I sing the mighty power of God. <clears throat> 
Next hymn this morning, number 564, 564, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. <clears throat> Sing the first, third, and fourth verse, and after that, Brother Dave Trevathan will have our scripture reading and prayer.
This morning, Chris has chosen Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, 30 through 32, as a scripture reading this morning. And it reads, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed to be able to come here and gather here this morning to worship you, to sing praises to you, to learn more about you and your word, Lord. Let it apply to our everyday lives, Lord, and let it encourage us, Lord, Lord, knowing that the promise you have for us one day will be with you for eternity in heaven, Lord. Lord, be with Chris as he delivers his lesson this morning. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Next time this morning, number 440. 440, my Jesus, I love thee. Certain events invite us to look back and look forward. Graduations, weddings, New Year's Day. At these times, we consider the significance of the past and anticipate the future. The Lord's Supper does the same. In 1 Corinthians 11:26, we read, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we worship through participation in communion, we look back 
to the cross. We are reminded of our sin that made Christ's death necessary. As we remember the cross, we must face our own unworthiness to receive God's forgiveness and salvation. As we search our hearts and take inventory of our lives, we confess our sins and failures to the Lord. Partaking of the cup prompts us to express thanks to God for blessing us with his grace and mercy. We realize our Lord is present with us in this meal, and we personally acknowledge him, our gratitude for taking our place on the cross. Each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we look forward as well. We declare our confident expectation of Christ's return to earth. Even though the second coming, even though the second coming is a future event, it influences our present behavior. As we share the communion meal today, we remember the past and anticipate the future and experience renewal in the presence. The cross is not some fact of history, but has a dynamic present and future impact. We remember our Lord who died, but is not dead. He lives and will return to earth to claim his own. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the day and the blessings of it. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to meet around your table, uh, to come near to you, and uh, thank you for the sacrifice you made. Lord, we just ask just now that you bless the loaf that represents the broken body that was given so freely, and Lord, we just ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we continue to thank you again for the sacrifice you made. Lord, we ask that you bless the cup that represents the blood that was shed so freely. Lord, without it, we wouldn't have uh, a future hope. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity we have to be with you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we also take a moment to uh, give back to the Lord what he's so richly given to us. Uh, we are also uh, richly blessed uh, because of uh, what he's done for us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 reminds us that remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the day and the blessings of it. Lord, we thank you for uh, the abilities that you've given us to give back, uh, a portion of what we have. Lord, we know that it's all because of you. Lord, we ask this now that you uh, be with the gift and the giver. May it be used in accordance to your will. And we ask that you would be with the, the elders as they make decisions on uh, how to use it. Lord, may we always um, give thanks for all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing the number 836, The Great Redeemer. Number 836.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 744. 744. What will your answer be? Brother Chris. Many of you back with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. Be turning to Mark chapter 9. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Mark chapter 9. We are following along as Mark goes through his gospel for us, telling us all about the Messiah and his role in uh, the kingdom. He has switched gears uh, over the last couple of weeks. He, in the beginning of Mark chapter, Mark 1 through 8, in fact, uh, is all about who is the Messiah? Who is, who is Jesus? Is he God or is he just a man? And the miracles and the teaching and all the things that he does and says lead us to the conclusion that he is indeed God. It's inescapable. You can't get away from it. He is 100% God. And so then you have to come down to the next question. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to submit to him? Are you going to ignore him? Because there's no middle ground really. Uh, He doesn't leave room for middle ground. He doesn't leave room for apathy. Bible terms are lukewarm. lukewarm. He doesn't leave room for that stuff. So you either 100% submit to him unreservedly and without question, or you ignore him and act like he never spoke, never said anything, never died. That's the only two options, really. He doesn't leave room for middle ground. Today, he's going to talk to you uh, about... The disciples' role. He's going to talk about the Messiah's role. That's what uh, Dave read for you a little bit ago. The Messiah is supposed to suffer. And that's not something the first century Jews understood. When you said Messiah, they didn't think of the cross. That's what we think of. 21st century Americans, 21st century Christians think of the cross. When I say Messiah, the, the picture that pops up in your mind is most likely the cross, right? Sacrifice, suffering. But to a first century Jew, what popped up into their minds when you said Messiah was a war horse. Uh, He is a conquering king. He has come to uh, kick the Romans out or whoever the invading force is in Jerusalem at that time. To kick them out of Palestine and to reinstitute the glory that Israel once had under the great kings David and Solomon. So Jesus is going to have a hard time trying to redefine what Messiah actually is in the Gospel of Mark. And that's what he's doing in this last section, Mark 9 through 16. That's what it's really all about. Today we come to a different section, though, where the disciples are talking about what it means to be the greatest. You guys remember this guy? I was a kid during the mid-90s, and uh, Mark Wohlers was a phenom. If you guys... If you guys followed, especially uh, Atlanta uh, baseball, the Braves, in the mid-90s, this guy was untouchable, right? my opinion, he was the best closer in baseball at that time. We'll talk more about that in a second. He had, I think, 13 strikeouts in a row in the month of July in 95. In August, he had 13 um, 
winning games. You could not stop Mark Wellers. He pitched a 103-mile-hour fastball. Unhittable, right? When I was, I don't know what I was at, 95, 10, 12, somewhere around in there, I thought, how in the world do you get around on a 103-mile-hour fastball? This guy is incredible. He would come in and pitch, what, 9, 10, 12 uh, pitches, and he was done winning the game. In fact, he was the guy that was standing on the mound when the Braves won the pennant in 95. It's closer in baseball, right? Now, when I say that, most likely, another name popped up in your head, right? You could argue for a lot of different people. That's the problem with this idea of who's the greatest. It's pretty subjective, right? During, um, during this, this section that we're talking about here in Mark chapter 9, the disciples are talking about who's the greatest. They're arguing back and forth between them. Who's the greatest? And so it kind of makes sense because Jesus has taken the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, the two brothers, uh, James and John and Peter, and he's taken them to the Mount of Transfiguration. He obviously, how do we want to put this? They are obviously, uh, not, maybe not his favorites, but the more trusted of the group, the ones that he focuses more on for whatever reason. And so <coughs> you would expect the disciples to have this discussion. Because when he says Messiah, what do they think? They don't think cross. They think conquering king. And so when he says the Messiah is here, and they finally get it, right? Peter has that incredible announcement uh, back a couple chapters in Mark chapter 8, where he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yes, you get it. You finally get it. He's been saying this for years at this point, And now you finally get it. Good job, Peter. But when Peter says Christ, when he says Messiah, he doesn't really mean suffering Savior come to die to atone for man's sins. He means conquering king. And so when the Messiah comes in the disciples' minds into his kingdom, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to have to have lieutenants, right? And he's going to have to have most trusted lieutenants, ones that are above all the others. And Peter, James, and John, I think, think that they're probably on top of the pile. They think that they're the top three. And maybe they're arguing between the, even the three of them. Who's going to be the number one lieutenant? And then poor James the Less is back in the background going, you know, <laughs> I'd like a shot. You know, like, so the, all the rest of them, they, they start arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus has this incredible teaching here. You need to read it. It's uh, Mark chapter 9. Let's see, verse, starting in verse... Uh, 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What are you discussing on the way? Listen to this. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. When, he, when a Jewish rabbi sits down, it's important. It's not like one of us sitting down, like, Oh, I got tired, so I sat down. He's not tired. He's not tired. He's sitting down so as to teach them. This is the way Jewish rabbis would have taught. They don't stand behind a, a podium. They would sit down, and their students would sit down, and that was an indication that class was about to begin. So this is something that is important, underlying in your, in your Bibles. He sat down because this is important. This was an indicator to the twelve. Something's about to happen. He's about to say something here that we really need to be paying attention to. So what's he say? What's he say in verse 35? And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus is redefining what it means to be successful. What it means to be the greatest. He says, you guys want to be the greatest? You guys want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Well, let me show you what you have to do. It's not all about dogpiling on top of each other. It's not about climbing the corporate success ladder. It's about who's the best servant. It goes from being fairly subjective to, not, to being able to be measured. Not really all that subjective. Which one of us is the greatest servant? Which one is always helping? Which one is always serving? You see on the slide behind me, there's, there's some conversations that the disciples are having here that people who are focused on sacrifice don't have. If you're really focused on sacrificing... 
if you're really focused on giving up your life, there are some conversations you just don't have. They don't make sense for you to have, right? The first conversation that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, if you're focused on giving over your life, is who's the greatest. Because it doesn't matter. Your life's not your own anyhow. You don't go after the things that you want to go after. You don't have your own priority list. You don't have your own bucket list anymore. All the things are gone when you accepted Christ through the power of baptism. You took on His agenda. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest or not. So what? You make more money. So what? You get more vacation. So what? All the stuff that the world builds as success. Jesus says, I'm redefining that. Not just for us. This is, Americans didn't come up with the great success story. That's what the disciples are struggling with too. They want to be number one. I want to have the most power. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, I want to be Joseph, like in Egypt. Or I want to be Daniel, like in Persia and Babylon. I want to have the power. And when someone comes to, to me, I want to be able to say yes or no, and that be the final word. I want to be the second in command. I don't want your job, Jesus. I don't want to be the king. I just want to be second in command. They wanted the power. They wanted the authority, the fame. Jesus says, you're thinking about it all wrong. You gave up your life. When I said, come follow me, you need to be following not leading. You guys are trying to lead. That's your problem. You're trying to lead. You need to be following. Stop arguing about who's the greatest and start thinking about how you can serve better. <clears throat> and he took a child in verse 36 and put him in the midst of them. Now, child's going to be important. Children are going to be important in this section of Mark. Uh, he's going to keep on coming back to this in this context. All the way through um, chapter 10, in, in fact, all the way through verse 45, he's, he's going to continue through this context. And it's all about the disciples trying to lead. They want to be in charge. And they're making a whole bunch of decisions. And in fact, as you get into chapter 10 next week, it's not just the disciples that are making these decisions. It's everybody. The Pharisees are making these decisions. The average Jews are making these decisions. They're trying to lead, and they ought to be following. You want to follow Jesus? You want to follow? You have to follow. You can't lead. And so he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So how do, you, how do you approach a child? Jesus is trying to teach us something here. He says, how do you, how do you approach a, a, a kid, a toddler even? <coughs> Excuse me. You see a kid at the ballpark, and he comes up to you. He's lost his ball. What do you do? Well, you bend down, right? You get down on his level, and you start trying to talk to him. You hand him his ball. You smile. Maybe you make your mouth, or you make your, your voice uh, a little less loud. You soften up your voice a little bit. A Bible term for that approach would be, Humbling yourself. Jesus says you need to humble yourself before God so that you can get in the kingdom. Because right now, there's not a whole lot of humility going on. You guys are out in front trying to lead, trying to be number one. You're not number one. Jesus is number one. All you have to do is get in line behind number one and submit to him. Don't argue about who's the greatest. Your job is to focus on sacrifice. What's the Messiah's role? His role is to suffer. What's the disciples' role? Our jobs are to sacrifice. That's what this section's all about. The disciples' role. Another thing that the disciples who were focused on sacrificing don't fight about is, is he still in my spotlight? Let's read this little section, starting in verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. He said, don't stop them, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon, be at, will soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. Now, what was the real problem here? Go back and look at what John actually said. You heard John say something that he might not have actually said. Go back and look at your text there in verse 38. This guy's not following who? He's not following Jesus? That's what you heard. 
right? That's what I've heard every time I've ever read this verse. That's not what John says. Look at your text, verse 38. John's problem is he's not following us. He's not, following, he's not one of the disciples. And so what's going on here? Well, this guy has come out of left field, and he is, John thinks, trying to steal the spotlight. He's going to become number one. <coughs> Excuse me. That's, that's the big problem right here. This guy's coming out of nowhere. He hasn't been part of the 12. He hasn't heard Jesus' teaching. He hasn't seen his miracles. He hasn't put in the hard work. He hasn't been with them for the last couple of years. He hasn't been through sleeping outside and all the stuff that the disciples have been through with Jesus. He hasn't been through all the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes pushing back against Jesus and the testing. He hasn't been through all that stuff. And here he comes out of left field and he wants to have all this, this, this fame and acclaim. And he wants to uh, cast out demons in Jesus' name. And It's just not fair. He's not stealing my spot. That's kind of what John says here. That guy's not stealing my spot. I'm going to be number one. Not him. Again, you see, John's mind's just not where it ought to be, right? John's not the only one. The disciples come to Jesus, and they've got the same problem. He's not following us. He's not one of us. He's not stealing my spot. We need to talk about something else right here real quick before we leave this section. Listen to what he says in verse 40. And 41. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So, is he saying here that it doesn't really matter what you teach? Is he saying here that it doesn't really matter what you believe about things? Is everyone okay? That's kind of a common thought we have in our world today, right? You're okay, I'm okay. It doesn't matter what you believe or teach. As long as you accept Jesus as Savior, everything's okay. Is, that, is this a text where we could say, yeah, that, that's where this comes from? It's not. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I've read commentary after commentary where the, the scholars go back to this text and they say, well, this is, just, this is Jesus admitting that everything's okay. If, as long as you submit to him, you can believe or say everything. We're all kind of all the same. I don't think. I know that's not what he's teaching here. Go back and look at what this guy's doing in verse 38. Remember, the words are important. A lot of times we skip through uh, the text so quickly. We're trying to get to the overall picture. or We, we got our, our proof texts where we like to get one thing out of the verse. And we skip over the other words in the verse. We can't do that. I hope if Mark's taught us anything throughout this, it's pay attention to the words. But listen to the words he says here in verse 38. <coughs> Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now that... We pray by Jesus' name, right? And so this whole in-your-name thing is not just, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, come out of him. It's by the authority of Jesus. It's by his power. This guy is in line with Jesus' teaching. He's not teaching something different than what Jesus taught he doesn't believe things that are different than what Jesus taught. He is teaching Jesus' doctrine. The problem with this guy is the disciples, he's not one of them. And they don't want him to steal his spot. They don't, they don't want him to steal their spot uh, in, the, in this coming kingdom. And so it's not that he's teaching something different. He's not. He's teaching exactly what Jesus would have taught. He's teaching and, in fact, casting out these demons, doing these miracles by Jesus' authority. And so, he's not teaching something completely different. He's teaching the exact same thing Jesus would have taught. And so, Jesus accepts this guy. Why? Because his doctrine, his teaching is exactly the same. And so, we need to watch out for Folks that are trying to make us, force us ex to accept a different gospel. In the, in the letter to the Galatians, in one, Galatians 1.6, uh, Paul says, I'm amazed 
that you are so quickly going after a different gospel. So are there different gospels? Absolutely there are. There's a whole world of lies out there that the world's trying to try to get us to believe that are just this far off of the true gospel. You know what I mean? Because you either completely and wholeheartedly, unreservedly follow Jesus, submit to Him, or you ignore Him. So there's not a lot of... They don't have to get you to believe just a whole lot of different things. Just a little bit. Just a little... Just small sacrifices. Just small compromises. will make it happen. And Paul says, don't, don't buy into that gospel because that's not a real gospel. There's no power to save you there. The power in the gospel is Jesus and adherence and submission to Him and His Word. So don't buy into these other gospels. Believe the truth. So this is just two examples here. We're going to go into more next week and, and when we get into Mark 10. But these are conversations that disciples who were focused on sacrificing, they don't have these kinds of discussions, these arguments, because that's what, not what our minds are at. Our minds are at, how can I serve? Where can I step in? <coughs> Man, so as we reopen services, as we reopen things that we've been longing to do the last year and a half or so, look for ways that you can plug in. There's going to be tons of ways that you can plug in and help, uh, especially now. Let's dive into this last little section here because there's some, some things here that we need to talk about too. Mark chapter 9, 42 through 47. Uh, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, who are these little ones? Is it the kid from earlier? It's not. It's not. It's the, it's the guy who was casting out demons. He's the little one. These disciples are the little ones. And so he's saying, if you cause someone to push me away by your foolishness and your pride and your selfishness, it'd be better for you if you were dead. Listen to how strongly Jesus considers us throwing obstacles in people's way of coming to Him. This is incredible, right? Verse 43, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Something you need to know about this little section, the Jews viewed the body as very special. Um, they didn't want it maimed. And so that's why they, they kind of looked down on the people who are blind or deaf or lame, paralyzed. They, they kind of ostracized them. They make them second-class citizens. <coughs> Sorry. Jesus says, you think, the, you think the body's a big deal? Well, it is. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about that later in 1 Corinthians. But he says, listen, it's better to cut off your hand. If your hand's the problem, cut the thing off so that you don't go to hell. Cut that thing off so you can enter life. Because it would be a whole lot better to get to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, verse 45, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So you might look at this as the things you do with your hands. The places you go with your feet and the things, your worldview with your eyes, how you look at the world. He says, if one of those things makes you, allows you to throw an obstacle in front of someone else, he says, it's better for you to be dead. Do everything in your power to open up the kingdom to people. Now, obviously, like we talked about earlier, we don't get to change doctrine. Jesus set that in stone. I can't change that. You can't change it. Nobody can change what his teaching is and how you get into the kingdom, how you be saved, how you worship, all those things he set up. That's not my call. It's not your call. And so I don't get to change those things. I submit and follow, and I don't ask a whole lot of questions. <laughs> I just do. Just obey, right? And so we don't 
<laughs> we obey. We submit. We follow. That's the that's the 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 life of a disciple. And we do everything in our power to open up the gospel to people who need to hear it and not get in their way. We don't stand in people's way of understanding truth. It's something so, so precious that God himself died for it so that we could understand, so that we could hear it, so that we could have access to it. How dare I ever stand in the way of someone coming to that? It would be better for me if I were dead. That's how strongly he views it. This last little section in Mark chapter 9, you need to pay special close attention to because Mark um, says some things here that I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to say exactly, but I kind of get the gist of it. So I want you to think through it this week. (coughs) Verse 48, he's still talking about hell. He says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, what all Mark's trying to say there, I'm not exactly sure. But again, I I think I get the gist of it. Salt and fire were both used in sacrifices. In Leviticus, I think it's chapter 2, verse 13 He talks about how salt should be used with every sacrifice. It's always used with every sacrifice. Obviously, fire was necessary for every sacrifice. And so as Mark points to these two elements, salt and fire, I think he's coming back to this theme that he's been talking about throughout this whole chapter. Sacrifice. He's reminding reminding them that their lives, that our lives, ought to be sacrifices for God. You may be more familiar with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Our lives are a sacrifice, right? We are throwing down our lives on the altar. And it's the only reasonable thing to do, is how Paul would phrase that in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think about this when you, uh, when you offer a sacrifice on the altar in, in the Old Testament. How ludicrous would it be to kill the the sacrifice, throw it up on the altar, and then jerk it back down? Then you think, well, second thoughts, throw it back up there. Five minutes later, you jerk it back down. Would that not be ludicrous? That's exactly what we do with our lives, though, isn't it? He says, your lives are a sacrifice. And we say, okay. And, And we are baptized into his blood. We have our sins washed away. And then what? Three months, six months, a year. Ten years down the road, I start trying to take back control because I don't like following. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. I want to pursue my agenda. And so I take back charge of my life. I'm jerking the sacrifice back off the altar. And I say, well, that's stupid. He's the only one who has the words of life. And I go back to him. I throw my life back down the altar. A little time passes. I start thinking, well... I'd really like to do this. I jerk my life back off the altar. That's the picture Mark's trying to get us to see here in these last few uh, verses. I think of Mark chapter 9. Your life is a sacrifice. Give it over to Him. If you want to follow Jesus, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to follow. You can't lead. You can't be in charge. You can't have the say. You can't have what you want. You have to take up his cross and do what he wants. There's no in-between. There's either complete submission, unreservedly, without question, or there's ignoring him and acting as if his death meant nothing. He doesn't leave room for a middle ground. So where are you at this morning? Mark is challenging, isn't he? When we first started this study on, on this gospel, uh, I was excited about it. But I was because I'd never really studied Mark all that much. He is challenging. He steps on our toes at almost every verse, doesn't he? Challenges us to do better, to be more like him, 
not a better version of ourselves, but more like Him, more like Jesus. And so this morning, what are you going to do with Him? That's Mark's call throughout this entire gospel. What are you going to do with Him? Do you believe that He's God? You don't have a whole lot of other options after that point. If you say, yes, I believe He's God, you submit to Him unreservedly and without question. And you don't look back. You don't try to jerk back control of your life, taking your life back off the altar. We're disciples. We sacrifice. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. Maybe you've already made the decision to be baptized into Christ this morning. And you need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Someday you'll stand at the bar one night. Someday you'll have to sing. Someday you'll have to the question of why. What will your answer be? What will it be? What will it be? this morning we'll sing hymn number 947 947 Jesus let us come to know you <clears throat> after this hymn brother Dwight Dunford will lead us in prayer Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful once again to be here to worship together as a congregation at Rome. We're thankful, Lord, that, that you are with us and in our presence. 
We, we pray that everything that we have said and done today is in accordance with your will and your word. We ask you, Lord, to bless the many ones that are suffering at this time. We have many on our sick list, those that are recovering from surgeries and those that, are, that have had cancer. Lord, we ask you to be with each and every one that's suffering this morning. and Let them know that we care about them and that you care also, Lord. We ask you to be with the ones that are preparing to graduate from high school this year and that are moving on to their next big step in life. Lord, we pray that, that they take you with them wherever they go and that they always look to you for help and guidance. We pray for those that, that are in college, our, our college students, our, our men and women that, that are are in the military, we pray, Lord, that you be with them in their, their daily walk with you, with you. Go with us, Lord, we pray this morning as we, we go to our separate, our separate ways, to our homes and wherever we go, Lord. We pray that we will always lift you up and give you the honor and the glory in our lives. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. 